Ladies and gentlemen, this is Madame Nymphadora, the credit union's spiciest queen and your hostess of Woke-Ass People, a conversational series featuring storytellers, advocates, and disruptors. And today we bring you an exciting conversation with Mark Bowles, a truly magnanimous individual who has such a unique passion for helping people, that he does it not only professionally, but personally as well. Mark is an authentic go-getter and truly cares about advancing the credit union movement. Strap in for this enjoyable ride with your favorite Mark Voles. Welcome back, all you cool cats and kittens. It is Madame Nymphadora, the credit union's spiciest queen, coming to you with a very phenomenal special guest that we have today, um, Mr. Mark Voles. Mark, how are you? I am good. How are you, Madame Nymphadora? I am doing exceptionally well. I am still here in beautiful Nebraska. And it is beautiful weather, so I cannot complain. Um, and and you're in Madison, is that correct? Are you in um, or Milwaukee, Wisconsin? actually? Oh, Wisconsin, you're from yep. Milwaukee. I'm sorry. That's okay. We're <laughs> they're close enough. We might as well be. So, <laughs> you know, that was like I think the first time that that statement. So I I just have to say one of my favorite movies is Bridesmaids. And on Bridesmaids, Mm -hmm. there's that part where she says, oh, you're from Milwaukee. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So that kind of worked there. That was cute. Well, that's a beautiful. Okay. So I've been to Madison a couple of times. That's about all I've ever been in Wisconsin. Are you, is that where your journey begins? What's, what's in Wisconsin? (laughs) <laughs> well, it's actually a funny, I'll try to keep this short too. So I'm actually adopted from the Philippines. Uh, I actually found out last year uh, that I was in the Philippines longer than I originally thought. So I'll take a step back and I'm sorry for this story. It's going to kind of jump, but uh, I was planning to go back to the Philippines for the credit union development education program there. Um, and in doing so, somebody's like, well, you might as well start looking at your adoption stuff and everything else. And I reached out to the agency um, that placed me, they got me some more information. And then I find out I was there for almost six or seven months where I thought I was, I was over in the US within like a month or two, um, just based off of my like vaccinations and records and stuff. And my parents like, it was so long ago, like they, I, I never really pried for, prided them for this information. So it was just like, it was really a, a self-awareness reckoning of like, oh, I, I should probably start looking into this a little bit more. So I was adopted from the Philippines. I was uh, then, lack of better words, brought over my uh, adoptive mother. I call her my mother because she is my mom. Um, actually went to the Philippines, came, picked me up and brought me back. Um, and then I was planted in suburban Wisconsin and basically have lived all of my life here um, in Wisconsin for the last four years, at least uh, in downtown Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So, wow. Uh, oh, my gosh. 
so how how old were you then when you were adopted and and immigrated <laughs> i think that might be a better word it, it was probably about seven or eight months after i was actually born um so i found out uh through all of the information that my birth mother uh like like a better word held on to me kept me alive for about a month and then put me up for an adoption uh at a uh catholic uh orphanage uh in wow. manila in the manila philippines so i have i have i'm hoping to go back next year to go through the de process and then go and visit the orphanage and um hopefully tie in a de project uh along the way we're still working on those details but uh, as those come up i'd gladly love to give you an update as those kind of come to uh, fruition here yes absolutely absolutely and and for some of our listeners too just um if you've been following there have been a handful of des that have been special guests on our show on our program here and so that that's our credit union development educator and so what's really wonderful about that again um is the program is not just within the United States. So what we're talking about um, is is the international, um, you know, working internationally on some development issues that impact um, families, communities all over the world. So that's a really awesome opportunity for you to be able to to go back and and kind of see. Have you been to the Philippines? This would be my first time back, and it's actually funny. Because when I tell people this, like, this is just my life. This is, I didn't know this was all going to happen. Um, but it, it makes her an exciting story. And a couple of my friends are like, you need to, like, document this, record this. Like, this could be like a, my one friend's like, this could be like a Lifetime movie if you really wanted it to be. I'm thinking I was Netflix. Like, I, I would have said Netflix, too. But I was like, you know what, I'll take, I, I'm not going for that. But if some, if people find it interesting, I don't mind documenting it documenting it because I think one other thing that uh, I talked to uh, a few other leaders within the credit union movement about it is that it brings a very international feel to a lot of people that don't have that international like global look at life compared to just here domestically in the U.S. or even just Wisconsin um, and it's interesting that I share this with you because I share it with a lot of people like I grew up with and they like they just look at me as Mark like that like I hate to say they push aside that I'm Asian they push aside that I'm Philippines um they just I I'm just another person in their life um but when they kind of pick pick apart it a little bit they're like oh that is very interesting so we'll we'll see what happens it's still in the early stages of it and still got to narrow down the dates and and actually uh, getting conversations with the orphanage and the cooperatives down there too. So yeah. again, I'd gladly love to share an update with uh, anybody uh, in the future as things kind of transpire here. Yes, yes. See, now this is exactly why we are bringing in and, and empowering and representing woke-ass voices, these woke-ass people, you know? And, and sometimes I get conflicted even with that own statement because it's like... <laughs> are we being woke or are we just being human? <laughs> are we just doing what, you know, we're, we're in, ingrained, what's in our DNA as cooperators and change makers. And I think that's just so amazing, you know, going through the DE program myself, you know, we see, we learn a lot of stories about 
um, you know, some amazing pioneers like Lois Kitch traveling internationally, Bert Hash, um, Mark Lynch, that are, are really making some great waves internationally and have. But to have somebody then that's in our in our generation or in our time period right now that's young and vibrant and saying I want to go over and work internationally with something I have a connection to and what's really powerful about that because you know though people might be joking that your story can be should be documented and televised isn't that kind of what we've been talking about in the movement with advocacy is that story sharing Mm -hmm. and sharing like our lived experiences really is what gives some of that tangibility to DEI and to what we're doing within the movement. I mean, it's just, it's so fresh. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's where it's, I, in, and when you put it like that, now I feel I have to start documenting more stuff. <laughs> so um, I, my, my brother, so I have an older brother and a younger sister that are also adopted from the Philippines and they're actually from the same orphanage too. So uh, they did take a blood test. They're not biological, but I think that would have been a very interesting story. But uh, anyways, my brother is like a videographer for weddings. So he's letting me borrow a a video camera to like kind of tape other things. And then I actually have another friend who I actually went to El Salvador with for a Habitat for Humanity trip. Um, And she has some friends that are, um, I don't, I don't remember exactly what they do, but they're going to be in Manila for the next three years. And so I told her about this and she's like, I will come with you and like tape everything if you want, because I need to go see them anyways. So uh, it's everything's just weirdly falling into place. So it'll be again, I gladly love to share anything and everything with everybody along the way. So we'll do it. We will come. We will bring you <laughs> back and we will have another conversation. <laughs> So you're talking about so many different things that I, I know I gave you some preset questions there and, and we're talking about, you know, empowerment within community and involvement and you are an extremely involved individual. You're extremely passionate. Um, you empower those that are around you and that is super inspiring to me to have people um, like you. I remember when I first met you and, and we first had some conversations and then post our introduction, I just felt like even through social media, I just had a friend in you because of how caring and compassionate you are. And I'm just curious, are you, you know, that's in your blood, it's in your DNA to care about people and help people. Is that where your journey started, you know, getting into credit unions or where does that begin for you? Well, I, I, I'll start off. I'm a reformed banker. Um, <laughs> okay. So it was more my, my entrance into credit unions was I, I need to get out of this. Um, the one story that I always tell everybody is the reason why I was sick of working for the bank. I was a commercial lender. Um, and there were a few loans that I would bring to our loan committee that just got turned down because they were trying, I don't want to say gouge them on the interest rate, but they were doing what was in the best interest of the stockholders and shareholders of the bank instead of we can, I can save him X amount of dollars. We're going to try to limit that. And then that was, I was like, that's the final straw. And then again, like I told you, everything somehow falls into place for me. Um, I actually had a old, uh, middle school classmate who worked at 
uh, Guardian Credit Union here in Southeast Wisconsin. He was the uh, financial analyst there. And he was, we, we would run into each other here in Milwaukee. It's not a very big city. So we'd, we'd see each out, each other out. So he messaged me once and was like, we're looking for a new commercial loan officer. And I was like, yes, I'm in. He's like, do you want to come talk about it? And he's like, no, not really. He's like, well, I can at least get you a meal for it. And I was like, all right, then you got me for a meal. So we went and he discussed it more. I honestly had no idea what a credit union was. Um, but for that month that I was kind of going through the interview process, I just kind of dug into it. I was like, I, I still don't fully understand this. I think I get it. But if you can, if you just let me do commercial lending, I think I'll be just fine. Um, so that's how I got into the credit union movement. So it's, uh, I know, I think I'm stealing this from Gigi Highland, but it's kind of like being, uh, ending up at, at least we have like, Denny's here in Wisconsin or like a Waffle House <laughs> in the South at 2 a.m. You don't know. Sometimes you don't know how you got there, but when you're there, you're very happy that you're there. Um, and that's just the way I felt once I got over there. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to steal one of your other questions, but when I got really into the movement was when I crashed the Wisconsin Credit Union League convention in 2000, uh, sorry, 2016. Uh, okay. Then, and that's where I got really enamored of, I don't need to do this alone. I got connected with one of the other fellow crashers. She's from Royal Credit Union up in Eau Claire. Uh, she shared that they have a business lending team. If I wanted, uh, me and my coworker could go up there and they would train us and give us basically wow. everything that they needed, everything that we needed to get the program going. Cause I'd hate to say, uh, and nothing to, downplay the people that were there before, but they just didn't have the experience of what a business program looks like. Um, and that they were just kind of getting through with what they knew. Um, but that's where I'd hate to say, I got a great education from the bank that I came from of how things ran and, and what was to do and also what not to do. Um, so I brought that over there. Um, and then uh, for the last three wonderful years, I got the opportunity to work at Corporate Central Credit Union um, and just a quick high-level overview of what we do. We are the credit union for credit unions. So I work with individual credit unions, at least here in Wisconsin, starting to branch out nationally a little bit. Uh, but we basically do a lot of the back-end office products and services. Um, many of uh, credit unions kind of hold deposits with us. And then we do a lot of the interchange kind of things too, amongst many, many other things, which that would take maybe an hour to kind of go through. So I'll <laughs> save everybody some time on that one. No, that's so fabulous. So you really kind of got to take some really wonderful experience there. And, and I say wonderful because you had that realization, you know, of like, okay, I think what's really important in a lot of people too in like our career development and identification process is identifying like do your values align and that's just kind of what I heard you know is that like values just don't align and um, I have a very short stint of working in a bank um, like three weeks. And it was seriously because I heard all the time, like we do, um, we like do favors and cut exceptions for our customers that are good and have high balances. We don't bend over backwards for the average middle-class underprivileged. And I was just like, 
not for me. <laughs> this is so not for me. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it, I'm glad that that happened, you know, for you that you were able to identify that and then kind of go in and really take the loan department or really take that area and, and it's Play-Doh and it's like, let's mold this mm -hmm. to what's best practice for the credit union movement. And that's really, really awesome. So I'm really curious just because, um, you know, corporate credit unions, since I've gotten into credit unions, they haven't been as, as like popular, I should say, <laughs> or there's not as many. Um, and I learned that, you know, in 2008, 2009, that really uh, diminished a lot of credit union, uh, corporate credit unions. Mm -hmm. And that was one thing that, you know, I, I uh, and correct me if anything that I say in this is incorrect, but in, in learning that it was like studying the, the Great Recession and seeing how banks got bought out, big banks, they got bailed out, whereas credit unions being member owned, and stable did not, but mm -hmm. credit corporate credit unions essentially came in and said, you know what, we need to support our consumers. And this is my where I might get it wrong. Did they then say, you know what, I'll take one for the team for the betterment of the movement, kind of. <laughs> a, a little bit it is a little bit more complicated than that there actually was a corporate of uh there was a corporate for corporates so like we had our own corporate and then once that kind of failed the ball started dropping for a lot of them um here at corporate central credit union we pride ourselves we are one of i think actually only five corporate credit unions that didn't lose any of our members' capital. Wow. So like, uh, uh, sorry, we call them natural person credit unions. <laughs> no, um, sure. I, uh, but as like, if you wanna be a part of a credit union, you have to do is like usually a $5 donation or investment. We have the same thing. And that's where a lot of our uh, uh, capital is kind of created. So luckily enough for us, and we're still fortunate, a lot of these people are still on our team especially with what's going on right now with everyone's balance sheet and there's excess deposits everywhere across the scale. Um, they had the good key insights of not going into some investments that were really popular and really kind of everybody else was getting into where we weren't. And we, like, like we already told, said, we knew what our principles were. We knew what we were here for to help our members and that we weren't really willing to risk, uh, those investments just for a couple extra points on yield, mm -hmm. knowing the kind of risks that are in those. So we, we were very, very fortunate that we're in this spot. Um, I'll, I'll share, share it because uh, I know our CEO says that we're the best damn corporate out there. We may not be the biggest, but we, we, we're very agile and we're really flexible when it comes to certain things. So that's really phenomenal. And I love that. I love that you're still there. I love that, that the, the corporate credit union is still standing and that we have that for our, our natural person credit unions and for our um, movement as a whole, because as we know, we've seen some decline in, uh, you know, credit union membership. And um, there's always that question of what's out there. And as technology progresses, and as we move forward, um, you know, some people are just really concerned about the convenience as opposed to 
what is in the wholesome feeling of a credit union, you know? So in talking about all of this and the movement in general, I guess um, I'm going to kind of jump around with some of the questions, but what, what is it that, that listeners can take away who might be a credit union member and they've, you know, they've put in their, their par value for their share deposit, but they don't quite know what that means. Or, um, you know, they got a loan at the dealer and it's booked at that credit union, but their main bank is chime or something else why should why should everybody anybody have a vested interest in a credit union uh, i'm glad you asked that question i'm happy that i had to answer this probably a couple days ago too <laughs> so i have a friend that is looking for a mortgage down in uh the phoenix arizona area and she knows i'm huge on credit unions, so she reached out to me she's like do you know anybody i was like yeah i know somebody so i got <laughs> them connected and then i uh talked to her the other day and was just like she's like I don't understand the difference between credits credit unions and banks and for me one of the big keys is and again coming from a bank I know exactly what they're about um, one of the things is we're we're here to help our members we're here to help our community and that we don't have any laws like forcing us to do so we're just doing it because it's the right thing to do and when I told her that She's like, well, don't like banks do all these other things. And I was like, yeah, because they're forced to. If you go and ask them, they, Wells Fargo wants to spend $50 million on community events. They don't. They may say they do, but I can guarantee you they were forced to do that. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to like bash banks on it because I do feel that a lot of banks probably are starting to do the right things. Um, but for us, why members and non-members should be bringing their stuff over to credit unions is because the more access we have to capital with your deposits, the better off we are to spread that amongst all of the people that actually need it. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's, I know we've always been trying to tackle the payday loan stores, um, all other kind of predatory kind of lending practices. It's just, we we're here to take that portion out, um, the bad portion of financial institutions and get people to better places in kind of, I don't want to say any way possible, but it really kind of is where we, we look at it at a very holistic approach where we're also trying to educate them. We're not going to get them into a product that doesn't make sense. We're not mm -hmm. going to go open accounts that aren't, uh, aren't real. Um, we, we probably do have some sort of quote unquote sales goals, but they're not to make X amount of accounts and have X amount of loans just because we're doing it because it's within the best interest of that member and also the community and the credit union itself because they're, they're owners of the credit union. They have the power to vote the board in and out and then the board can vote in and out that CEO and executive team. So. I, I don't know if that fully answered your question, but it does. it does. And it's beautiful. And thank you so much because it leads me into a couple more things. <laughs> so, you know, you touched on one thing that I want to draw back to, which will lead us into some conversation on, on why democratic participation is important in credit unions. And just tying back to like you talked about, you know, the rules or, or the, the regulations that banks, you know, need to follow to be involved 
in their community. And that was something, um, as we know, was some advocacy some leg on our legislative agenda for credit unions um, some time ago with um, the Community Reinvestment Act is, uh, you know, there were some individuals that felt that the financial services industry should be required to reinvest within their communities. And for a while, credit unions were lumped into that. And it's like, wait a minute, we already do that. That's what our whole model is. Um, so, you know, that's where we're seeing, and, and that's, I think, a lot of arguments that some bankers will have is they'll say, well, we do that. Well, we, we participate. We write a check for this event. We do this. But there's there's just something that's a little bit deeper on the credit union level that we do that's different. And, and it started, our, our movement started with being involved in democracy and, mm -hmm. and getting to where we are by the Federal Credit Union Act was community organizing and was grassroots efforts. And, you know, we're what I, I want to say just under 15 years away from being 100 years old and, you know, legally in the in the United States. So where are we now? And do we see that same democratic participation that should be there? Because you talk, you know, we talk about, um, you know, the board, the, the members of credit unions having the power um, just like we talk about in our presidential elections and in our primaries and gubernatorial, how can we amplify that? What what can we do to get credit union members more involved in democratic participation? I have a, a quick, easy answer to that, and it's usually just giving away free stuff. Um, I know, <laughs> uh, like I mentioned, I work with a lot of credit unions. They struggle with that, too. Um, it's just to get the involvement of, again, just adding people to the board. One of the things that, uh, that will probably be happening in the next five to 10 years is that those board members won't be there. So we need young, not even young, young, I, I'm 35 years old. I don't consider myself young anymore. Um, but people my age and even younger to start stepping up and join these boards. And that's where it comes down to, you don't necessarily need to be working at a credit union and then being on your own board, maybe potentially see if you could join another credit union's board. Maybe you have a friend that's very good in something and hopefully they're a member of that credit union. Encourage them to be a member of that board. There's a lot of opportunity for just different points of view to be brought to that rather than I'd hate to say what might have been been done for the last 20, 30 years of we've had the same board. We, we don't have term dates right. where it's just, again, the, the board oversees the credit union and the direction of where they're going. And with everything that kind of recently happened, um, not a lot of credit unions probably had a digital transformation in their uh there's 2020 strategy but covid forced right. them to do so where you needed to adapt and if you were lucky that was already started or if or, or it was already there or you were you were on an uphill battle against a huge boulder of uh, the board just didn't understand or know all the integral parts that it takes to get from where we used to do things to where we are now, because now everybody knows we can do everything remotely. Yes. And that it's, do we go back to 
the way things were or are no. we okay with where things are um and i i don't want to say we're uh i hate saying going back to normal because we're never going to go back to normal but we have the ability to create our new our new reality is what i'd like to think i totally agree um, with that i totally 100 percent agree and some thoughts that i have on that is um i actually was thinking about this a couple weeks ago because i saw this post that was saying um you know 2020 and COVID-19 changed the reality of things. Mm -hmm. For a lot of us in the credit union space, you know, I think we were told you can't do that job from home. We need you here. And we learned that you don't need the people there. But even further, the number one phrase I despise in the entire world is we've always done it that way. I mean, it is something that is like a trigger word for me, mm -hmm. or trigger phrase. And some of my thought with this, and I was actually laughing by myself in my car when I thought of this, was credit unions will have an opportunity. I mean, any, any organization, but credit unions right now are deciding, do we go back to the way things were? Or do we move forward to the way things are now? And 2020 and COVID-19 really broke that cycle of, mm -hmm. you know, I heard one day, nope, we can't do that. It's impossible. We've always done it this way to COVID-19 happening and 2020 happening. And guess what? Everything that you've ever been doing is now altered. Everything's yep. changed. And the beautiful thing is we survived. We, yeah. we are, you know, we're still here. I've heard some credit unions talk about how, you know, 2020 was some of their most profitable years, um, which then was a question of, well, what are you doing with that profit? Are you giving it back to your members the way that you should be rather than just 12 cents every year? Um, what, what is that that we're giving back? Because um, spoiler alert for those new to credit unions that are listening, credit unions exist and give back on their earnings to their owners, which are members, which are you and me and Mark. Whereas at your bank, the board makes the profit off of that and the executives. And that's not how we go down, honey. So we <laughs> got to stay on top of that and do more um, and, and stay involved and be representative of that. Uh, so yeah, just a, just a couple things that I was thinking there of, we can't say anymore. No longer can we say that it's always been done that way because we've been proven wrong. Yep. And I, I always have to bite my tongue whenever anybody says that's just the way we do it. And I always want to respond. So you've been doing it wrong for a while. And, it's and you're just, okay with it. <laughs> and that's where it's just like, I, I, I try to reframe it now of let's find a better, more efficient, easier way to do this instead of completely bashing the old way that it is. Because if at some point that old way was working. Mm -hmm. And that as we just learned within the last year or so, or recently, it's just, you can fast track whatever you want, it, not just because of a pandemic. Like if you have the capability and capacity to do so, you, you can really change whatever you want. We created a vaccine that wasn't even thought of a year and a half ago. Yeah. Like that's just, it's amazing. And if you ever get to read the research of like how we got there, 
like, and I hate to say it, and it's, it's, it's sad that we lost so many people and people were so affected by this, but one shining star out of it, it, we got a whole new research kind of platform for this. So I'm not, I'm not proposing or not saying that we're going to be curing cancer anytime soon, but a lot of those things, we can take that same kind of model that we use to attack different sorts of diseases and uh, other viruses. So it'll, it'll be interesting on, on how we all get to this new reality that we're about to get to. I think that's so important and so well said. Thank you. Speaking of, speaking of different diseases and viruses that are out there, one that I know we've, we've spoken, you know, offline about and with our peer groups, and we've seen it across the United States for a very long time. I mean, and, and what I'm talking about is any sort of discrimination, hate crime, racism. Um, we've, we see it in, in our world. It's something that unfortunately um, we're seeing young generations grow up with seeing uh, society really ripped and torn apart. And for, for some older generations, some of this is not new. Um, we're, we're in a time right now where we have so many different generations and one existence and so many different perspectives. And we're talking about how it's just so amazing and immaculate that we're able to create like this vaccine out of, out of, I don't want to say nothing, but we didn't have something before in the research and the data and the commitment. And it just, those are, those are some of the parallels that I draw when we look at the disease of racism that is rampant within our communities and in our societies ever more so now um, that we're in this digital world. Everything can be recorded and we're seeing it. So it's like, couldn't we apply those same methods that were, or the concept of tackling a virus or a disease that is killing people to just stop and think and make a choice of, is this, is this human? Is this human to treat another human with such, you know, harm? Yeah, yeah. I... I love your points and it's, I, I think we, and I hate to say that we are kind of, I don't want to say we're at a tipping point because we're not. Um, but I think what happened last year and what's currently going on has really opened the eyes to a lot of people that didn't necessarily know what was going on. Like, and I, I know I shared earlier that like a lot of my friends and family just look at me as, as Mark, I'm not the Asian person, but when I step outside of my home here, I'm to the people that don't know me, I'm just another Asian person. And I, I wish I didn't have to tell you this, but I am usually a victim of a verbal assault. Um, I guess before the pandemic, it probably was maybe once, once or twice a quarter, which I, and I'm again, 35, I'm kind of numb to it. I don't engage with those individuals. But since last year, it was probably once or twice a month where it's just for a lot of, and I hate to say white people on this call or sorry, this uh, podcast, you don't, you don't understand the trauma 
of somebody that you don't know telling you to go back to China or that you're ruining the country that you that I have to live with or other Asian people have to live with or even any other kind of ethnicity has to live with that it's just it's it's so difficult to unpack that and then have to unpack it every time it happens and then something like uh, the Atlanta shooting occurs and then everybody I hate to say is woke about it and then they want to start fighting well we've been talking about this for the last year mm-hmm. we've been talking about this for the last century like it, it it feels like things are changing there's a lot more spotlight on it which I, I definitely appreciate um, but at least I for me there there's at least more action especially in state local legislation being put forward we just finally here in wisconsin had our very first asian uh representative uh francesca hong out in madison oh my gosh ever ever it's just it's it's mind-blowing that it took this long to elect somebody but again i hate to say wisconsin's a very uh non-asian state Um, So there's not a ton of representation, but it's just, it's, it's nice to know that there are some people out there fighting for us, not even just within the Asian culture, that there is a good amount of support. And uh, as, as everything happened last year with uh, the murder of Breonna Taylor and the murder of George Floyd, and everybody was protesting in the streets, I I was very active. I, again, am lucky and fortunate. I, I live in downtown Milwaukee, so this was a very active time, uh, or sorry, active location. Uh, so I got to see, they, I'd hate to say, they kind of always walked past my house. And whenever I heard or followed them on Facebook, I always made a point to go, uh, go protest in the streets with them. But to be honest, that was some of the times I felt the safest because I was with people that I knew we were all fighting for the same thing. Mm-hmm. And whether or not there were police officers, there was one time where they did roll up really quickly. They had their guns drawn. It was really, really scary um, that I knew that there was a ton of people behind me that had my back on things. And that's where it's, I know those people are still out there. I know they're still fighting and that we're actually starting to get things to change and that's one thing that at least within the last year i've actually noticed and seen a lot more local legislations being done rather than national because we all know that i'd hate to say the federal government definitely moves as slow as molasses when it comes to things (laughs) Uh, it changes every two years (laughs) yeah and it's it's difficult to get large systematic changes in the place, especially on a federal level when everyone's, I'd hate to say following party politics instead of people politics where, what is it? Like 75% of people in America support like an uh, anti-automatic rifle ban. Like it's, if it were up to us, which it should be, which it's not, where that's where sometimes the lobbyists and, and big business kind of play a, uh, a part in that. But it's nice to know that there are people out there fighting 
for the fight against racism. There's places to go. Um, I didn't know that there's different Asian groups here in Wisconsin. Um, so I started joining those and even uh, the, the Black Lives Matter and the other kind of uh, groups to kind of get people together, similar to how credit unions were, where they were originated by a single kind of employment group or, or some sort of uh, characteristic that that's still going on, uh, at least socially here in Wisconsin and other places too, so. Yes, I really feel like our vibe is just so fresh because that is like leading me to this next thing. Like all I kept thinking about was like, Mark, we've studied how the credit union model, <clears throat> which little plug for current president um, Joe Biden, um, back in the early 80s, President Joe Biden, uh, then Senator Joe Biden introduced legislation that ultimately passed where the United States Agency of International Development would supply funding for the development education program um, or programs such as. And actually, the DE program is the only one that's still in existence today. And that's super mm -hmm. phenomenal. But also, as we've learned for our listeners, the credit union model that grant funding has allowed for cooperative for credit unions to go worldwide and in some countries has been a symbol of democracy that has formed more democratic participation so some of my question mark in my brain is like why aren't credit unions doing it here in in the strongest country the self-proclaimed strongest country in the world the most powerful democracy that is more of a capitalist society. How are credit unions saying, I don't want to engage in that. That's not our issue. And still be okay with that's how we started was like you're talking about, you know, one of our favorite badass women, Louise McCarran Herring, organized over 500 credit unions in her 20s. Mm -hmm. I mean, young professionals that is out there making waves creating a form of democracy, a symbol of hope for communities. So what are we doing, Mark? What can we do? How can we bring that sense of democracy home into where we are now? Because, um, you know, you talked about, you know, joining a board. How do we do that? I, I haven't worked in, in a um, natural person credit union in almost a year. And I'm still trying to figure out from the three credit unions I belong to how I can run for their board. And it's, it's no tea, no shade to those organizations. I think we all kind of struggle, um, you know, with how do we reach out? How do we attract a newer generation? And like you said, it doesn't have to be young, just a newer one, you know, because mm -hmm. they're not going to be there forever. And I bet you if you ask some of those board members, they don't want to be there. They're tired. Yeah. There's just, there hasn't been a well-oiled next step. Yep. And I think that that's what's powerful about some of us in, in the movement is like you said, I love how you said, you know, if you're, if you're working in this space or you've got friends that are, this is, these are who we should be encouraging our individuals to stay active and ask those questions. But, you know, why, why do you think, not why, what would happen if credit unions overall just you know, didn't pay attention to 
social issues. Let's pretend that um, violence against Asian American Pacific Islanders, violence against African Americans, against transgender individuals. Let's pretend that credit unions don't care about that. What happens if they don't care about the human? If they don't care about the human and I'm in a member stand in their shoes and I am a member of a credit union, I'm taking my money somewhere else. Like, and that's where I, I, I would like to vote with my pocketbook. I make sure that I spend my money in certain places that I know is for the betterment of my community, at least uh, for the last couple of years. Um, I don't, I don't go out to eat often, although granted because of COVID last year, it, it was probably more than I used to. Um, but every, every place, at least in February, I made sure that it was a black owned restaurant. Every place that I ate in March, it was a women owned re restaurant. And I apologize, I don't know what April's month is, but I really enjoyed both of those because there were places that I didn't try. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like, I, I vote with my pocketbook. Um, and I also volunteer with numerous other organizations. And that's one other thing that I think we didn't necessarily get into. You don't need to do a full-blown board, uh, be on the full board. There's other committees that other nonprofits kind of help out with. And one that I've been recently, I know I kind of alluded, I did an El Salvador trip uh, yeah. a few years ago. That was for Habitat for Humanity. And most recently, I joined their Family Services Committee where we approve uh, the home loans that people are getting into, and then also the critical critical repairs that they, uh, oh, sorry, critical repair loans that they uh, offer too. And most recently, they were working with a lot of banks, and that's where in a couple of the meetings they were really struggling in getting financial partnerships. And that's where I, I'm very fortunate again to be working for Corporate Central Credit Union. I'm also the president of our local. Cream City chapter. So I know a lot of the credit unions here in Southeast Wisconsin and the, uh, the state in general, but- And the United States. And the United <laughs> States too, not to uh, <laughs> hype me up any, but it's, uh, I, I presented this to our executive director, Brian. I was like, why aren't we working with credit unions? Um, so I've been meeting with uh, the credit unions here in Southeast Wisconsin and, and their team and Natasha, who's in charge of most of this, and there's, there's really no product or service that really fits um, what they're really looking for. But the thing that I absolutely love about the credit unions is they're like, no, this fits our model. It's people helping people and we'll just build something for it. I love like it, it was nothing. And it was just, I'm just sitting there. I was like, I didn't, I didn't do anything except connect these two. And that's the little things that instead of going and protesting in the streets or going and going to Washington and testify in front of the Senate or something like that, you can do little things. You have the ability to make these small incremental changes to create a better community. And we all know what, what having a roof over our head is and not having to worry about those things that could really help a lot of our communities and put people in better positions and then not have to rely so much on all of the other things that are out there. 
so it's like it's like we all play our own role you know i mean it's something that some of our our friend group and the credit union space has talked about you know i think i think what some people just in social media land experienced last year while we were all tucked away and and really what can make things so powerful and and strike deep emotions in us but also you know that anxiety of am i doing enough mm-hmm. and what can i do and i think that you know me myself as a non asian individual and other like maybe you as a non drag queen can like we can relate to some experiences but our lived experiences are our own and Mm -hmm. sometimes you know it it can be hard of like how do we reach out to our friends how do we reach out to people who are different than us that are experiencing moments like we've seen happen just even in the last few weeks I mean we're talking today April 1st but there's been a lot that's happened in March, especially with gun violence. There's a lot that's happened this year. And so we have those moments, I think, of like, what do we do? Am I doing enough? How do I do more? And I like that you talk about the different aspects that you don't have to necessarily be, you know, marching Capitol Hill or, um, you know, being frustrated on Twitter. You can find ways and it doesn't mean that your way or my way is wrong it's just we're serving different purposes and Mm -hmm. we're finding the ways that we see fit to express what we're feeling because I think I mean I don't know if um, you've experienced this you know a lot in the last year but sometimes working in our in a in a in an environment that's so um, white dominant sometimes it can be hard to not be to feel that we're not seen um in moments of crisis and trauma i mean i remember when pulse um orlando happened and Mm -hmm. i had some moments of like it was really emotional for me and i think for a lot of lgbt individuals and for myself being um latina and seeing a name that was very similar to mine was like this could happen to me that could have been me. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we see these things happen in our society, it triggers so much suppressed trauma. Yep. That And when we don't have those around us saying, are you okay? I, I, how do we be better people, Mark? What can we do? <laughs> I, I, I think one, one thing on, on that is just don't be afraid to reach out to your friends and family because you haven't spoken them to in a while. Like I'd hate to say when, when that all happened, at least in, in Atlanta, I heard from people that I haven't heard from in years. And I was just like, I, I appreciate it so much. And it was just, it, it's, you think everybody has your back until something like that happens. And then they don't. Um, but one other thing, just to sorry to jump on a point that you kind of brought up too. Um, I know we want to solve all the issues in the world. We all want to do that. You're not. You're not going to solve all the issues. I'm not going to solve the issues. We're not. Find what you're passionate about 
and then focus on those. Uh, I have three things and I, I was in the boat of, I'm gonna solve all the world's problems too in my mid, mid to late twenties. And just, I'd hate to say I got completely burnt out, um, but it's just know what your strengths are and then know what you wanna do. So for me, at least right now, and this, it doesn't always need to be these few things. You can change it, their life changes, things change. But for me right now, it's housing. So I do a lot of work for Habitat for Humanity. I do a lot of volunteering for Feeding America because I'm still shocked that, like you mentioned, we're in one of the richest and most powerful nations. And yet my neighbors still are struggling to eat. That is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I, I try to volunteer there as much as possible. Similar, I work or do work for the Salvation Army where we put together lunches for children during the summer. Because um, especially when COVID happened, a lot of those kids are getting lunches, breakfast, dinners through school. And that's where it, it was heartbreaking knowing those kids aren't going to school and probably not getting fed. And it's just, there's again, little things that we could be doing. And just imagine if we all did a little bit just to get everybody to a better spot. And that's what I, I, I still struggle with, uh, I'm doing this to inspire people. I'm not doing it to inspire people. I'm just doing it because I think it's the right thing to do. And mm -hmm. that, uh, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm on borrowed time. I'm adopted from the Philippines. I shouldn't be here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This isn't where most Filipino people end up. Mm -hmm. But while I'm here, I'm going to try to make the world a better place in any way possible. And that's where it's, I've really learned this growing up and watching my dad be a part of so many things. And it's, I tried to follow in his footsteps again. That's where I kind of got a little bit burnt out, but I feel I don't need to exactly do what he did. And then I can put my own flavor on it. And that's where everything I'm doing now is just routine. Like I just enjoy doing it. I don't mind. I, I love meeting those new volunteers too, just because I was in their shoes too. And if I don't make them feel welcome and show them the way, they're not going to come back or they're not going to have a good experience. So I'm also an ambassador for that organization, whether I like it or not. You know, you say that um, you don't do this to inspire people. And I think that that's what makes natural inspiration leaders you know, like, like yourself is, is you do, I know you're going to touch many, many hearts and inspire many, many individuals um, listening to this just by sharing your story. And when your Netflix special or your lifetime original movie is there, we're going to know that this is Mark. Um, I just think that's so beautiful that you're, you're able to recognize you have a really strong sense of self-awareness and the boundaries of what is good for you what's not good for you and you know that and um i'm entering my 30s this year so i'm really excited for that growth and evolution i'm not having a midlife crisis like a lot of people do in the turn 30 but um no you've just accomplished so much and um 
you know, I, I feel like I, it, it, that can be hard to hear sometimes, you know, cause like I, I've had people say that to me and I'm like, I have, I mean, I, I'm just doing it because I feel it needs to be done. I'm, it, it brings mm-hmm. me like full divinity of like what that purpose is that we're supposed to be doing why we're on this journey, you know? Yep. Well, and, and I, I selfishly work for, or do work with Habitat for Humanity, not just because I know the impact of having a house and having shelter, but I'm also learning how to build a home for free. Like, yeah. that's just like, you don't get this education anywhere else. And that's where it's like, you don't know where you're going to learn these tools and be able to do stuff. I don't know if you can see it, but like, I, I had a light switch that went out. I, I don't think you can see it, but you fixed it, it. and I fixed it. Ah! <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to do that. To be honest, I probably would have called somebody to do it. And then I just kind of, I hate to say, I looked at, I looked it up on YouTube and then followed it. And then, but I, I'm gaining a skill set by doing these volunteer things. And it's just, it's also inspiring that I do have now friends and family. They're like, we want to come volunteer with you. So it's, I'm, I'm hoping to at some point, once uh, COVID's over to get a lot more opportunities for my friends and family. Cause once you start doing it, I hate to say you don't really stop. Like if you have a good experience, like that was fun. Like that, let's, let's do that again. Just like anything that, that you enjoy in life. So. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Uh, Mr. Light switch electrician. <clears throat> so Mark, We've talked about a lot today, and I know that I didn't necessarily ask you all these questions, but we touched on a lot of them here. And I just kind of want to end it here with like this final question of where do we go from here? Look, looking through your third eye, and here we are, woke-ass people in this woke-ass world, where do you see the credit union movement in 2121? Where are we at in 100 years? Where are we at in a hundred years? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, where, where, where I'd like us to go from here is to take a better, take better care of each other. That we do not forget what we all just went through. We all now have a very collective trauma experience going through COVID. That that could be the beacon of connection going forward. I mm-hmm. uh, I know some some did just fine through this. Um, but we are all affected by it, whether we liked it or not. Yeah. Um, so I, I like at least as a hum- humanity that we, we don't forget what we just went through, that yes, we, we still have our differences, that will always be the case, but we now have one common ground that we could all base, start, uh, base off of going forward. Where are credit unions in 2021? Or twenty one twenty one. Yes. Uh, that's a that's a good question, um, and I I feel the next few years will really define where that is. Um, similar to my previous answer, we need to take better care of each other. Credit unions need to take better care of credit unions. It's we we know the number is trending downwards. There's a lot more mergers and acquisitions. Uh, we need people to start stepping up into leadership roles, into more collaborative roles. One thing that I love about here in Wisconsin is that a lot of credit unions do talk with each other. They share a lot of ideas. 
um, they might be down the road. They might quote unquote be competitors, but they're God willing to share ideas and philosophies and different kind of procedures and policies with each other. So the second we stop losing that, I hate to say we start, we start, we start losing our heart in the credit union. And I feel with everything that happened within the last year, that one is our springboard. That is what we need to use going forward is lead with the heart of helping your communities, helping your members, and also helping, I know we didn't touch on it, but helping your employees too. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that I think we didn't necessarily do a, a, a super fantastic job of checking in on our employees through this. Because again, we are all affected. And uh, I don't want to say fortunate enough, most of us were still have a job, but at the same time, maybe that spouse got let go. Maybe it was very difficult going through this, having your children and trying to teach and work at the same time. Uh, it's, I, I also believe that mental aware, or sorry, mental health became a huge, huge, uh, I, I don't want to call it a buzzword because I, I think it's here to stay, that it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And that you do need to take time out for yourself every now and then. And that's okay. And everybody does it. And if they don't, and they tell you they don't, they're absolutely lying to you. Mm-hmm. I totally, I'm with that. I'm so with that, Mark. I'm really glad that you talked about that there, about mental health. I, it's something that I've struggled with my entire life, with anxiety and depression and bipolar. And I'm going to be honest, I hesitate because there's so much stigma around mental health and it's something you know in our workplace that has been so don't talk about it and if you do talk about it you're labeled a certain way and you know with the hesitancy talking about the mental my my own mental health is that people are quick to make judgments with individuals that do live um with Mm -hmm. manic depression and it's a very serious thing um, to experience and deal with. And I, I think that it, it is something that we can have more compassion for each other and understanding um, that we don't know what even the person that we work next to or mm-hmm. have worked next to for eight hours that we don't know what they're, they're going through. We don't know their struggle. And that's, that's always to be kind, to spread kindness and yep. be good people. Yep. One last thing I do want to say, um, and I heard this quote, I forgot exactly where it was, um, but as, as we talk about generations and where we came from and where civil rights were 50 years ago, 20 years ago, we're the people that we were waiting for. Mm-hmm. So let's not, I hate to say, waste this opportunity. Let's keep going. We're, it's going to take time. You're going to have to be okay with that. Well, let's just keep plugging along, do what is right, do what you feel is right, and keep going with it. Because we found out there's a lot of us that want the same thing. Mm-hmm. And why stop fighting for it now just because COVID's over or that we get back to some sort of reality that we had before? Let's create a better reality. With a common bond, yep. how credit unions started. <laughs> Mark, you're fabulous. I adore you. I am so, 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 so happy 
that our paths have crossed not not I, I knew I'm I knowing you and getting to know you now it's like it was inevitable but I'm glad mm-hmm. that we did however long ago because we've got to be in each other's worlds and and yep. and share these experiences and I'm just so incredibly proud to know you and you will forever have a friend and an ally in me thank you for sharing your time well, thank you for having me. And and again, thanks for putting on this podcast. I know I absolutely love listening to it. First time presenter, a uh, long time listener. So. Well, thank you so much. I definitely am going to bring you back. We have so much. I feel like we could keep going down and down and around in circles and keep talking. And <laughs> we're just going to have to do this live one day. We're going to have a reunion of all the Whoppers out there in the world. And we're just going to have a party. I would absolutely love that. Sign me up whenever that is. Definitely. Thank you so much, Mark. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone.